Welcome along to another episode of the Make It Count podcast. Thank you for being here. My name is David. And I'm Matt. What are we talking about today, Matt? Goals, I think. Goals, you think, <laughs> yeah. Your favourite football goals, yeah. soccer goals. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. Favourite goals from the 1966 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember that one, do you? The one. The one, yeah, exactly. Anyway, no, that's not the sort of goal we're talking about. We're talking about setting goals. And uh, I suppose it's quite interesting because a lot of the time I meet people that don't want to set goals. I remember recently I had a conversation with somebody and they were talking about their annual appraisal. And they said, well, I'm not the biggest fan, English terms, I'm not a fan of annual appraisals i'm just not really motivated by goals Hmm. really interesting thing to say and then they they talked about how they're much more motivated by one does the job need doing if it does i'll do it quite pragmatically and two actually the the difference they get to make through various projects that they can they can do so I thought it was interesting that they were not motivated by goals. But then I thought, well, maybe they're setting goals around the wrong areas. Because Mm. if the things that they enjoy and are motivated by are not areas they're setting goals around, of course you're not going to be motivated by goals. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what some of those goals that come up in an annual appraisal might be. Mm. Um, I've definitely heard it said by... I think it was near Al in an interview he was doing. Might not have been, might have been someone else. But he was saying, yeah, he doesn't like annual appraisals or even semi-annual appraisals, so like six-monthly appraisals. He calls them pre-exit interviews. He says that they're so demotivating, they're so out of sync with the actual feedback cycle you need. You're basically preparing people to go, yeah, bye, because mm-hmm. then they're not going to get the feedback that they need. If that's all you're doing, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to feedback, generally, the closer to the event, the better. Yeah. There are some exceptions, I would suggest. So, for example, I was a a sports coach for a while. In a competitive situation, a player makes a mistake. They don't need, probably, in that moment, feedback from me about the mistake that they made. They probably need encouragement. But for the most part quick feedback the quicker the closer to the event the better for performance improvement so absolutely you know looking at the last 12 months something that happened 11 months ago or even two months ago it's too late feedback wise Mm. yeah and unless it's something along the lines of okay you did something two months ago that was this specific thing and there's one coming up soon now we're going to feed into that one, and that's almost feed forward as much as feed back. But you know, but we're not here to talk about the failures of annual appraisals. There are plenty no. of other people that have talked about that, and most organi- well, lots of organisations are moving away from that model anyway. Hooray! But we're talking about goals and motivation, and partly why we're doing that is because every year, New Year comes around. And people say, I'm going to set some New Year's resolutions or I'm going to set some goals. And then someone else, helpfully or not so much, will say, well, something like 80% of people don't achieve their goals. And most of them by February. Yeah, most, most, New most Year's of them give up their New Year's will, resolutions will 
fail by February. So it is like, it's, you know, a percentage of a percentage of people will actually achieve their goals. So why bother is the obvious answer. Matt, why bother setting goals? Why bother setting goals? I like, well, I think it's an aspirational thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, ah, I looked up, well, I didn't look up a quote. I thought of a quote and I was supposed to look it up to find out who said it. But mm-hmm. it's this thing of, if you shoot for the stars, you may not reach them, but you may get to the moon. Mm. And if you... I thought it was, if you shoot for the moon and you miss, you'll hit the stars. No, it's the other way around. Is it? Because the stars are further away. Oh, it's... Obviously. Yeah, well, maybe. Anyway, yes, yeah, carry on. Yeah, no, it's definitely a case of, basically, if you aim for something really high... You might not get to that aim, but you will climb somewhere. So, you know, if you aim for Mount Everest, you might not get to it, but you might get halfway up or something. Like, you know, you've still made progress. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's good to aspire for something. It's good to, to go, I want to stretch myself. Because if we're only ever going, well, you know, I'm just going to do what I do, what's in front of me. If you don't necessarily have any bigger goals, you might end up just being that person said they're motivated by you know, getting stuff done that needs to get done. Well, the the downfall of that mindset is whatever comes onto your plate any given day or week, that is what you're going to do because you don't have any filter of, is this getting me closer to my overall goal? Mm. You're just going to go, well, it needs to get done, so I'll get done. And there are some positions and, you know, every organisation needs people to go, there's stuff that just needs to get done. Mm. But if you don't have that old that filter of, this is pushing us towards an overall greater purpose, an overall goal or not, then you'll end up always just putting out fires. It's going to be that quadrant one always. Mm. Quadrant two, I think, is where that's where the power of a goal comes in. Mm. It's an important thing, but it's not necessarily ever going to be urgent. Mm. Uh, If it was, it wouldn't necessarily need a goal Mm. because it would just come naturally. Yeah, and I think that word aspirational is really important because I think I saw some research that suggested that more goal-directed people tended to be happier. Huh. It was a really strong relationship, which is interesting. When you when we talk about earlier, well, mo- most people that set goals don't achieve them and maybe even fall short of them. Mm. But actually there's a a greater happiness to setting goals. And so there's a little bit of a, maybe a dissonance dissonance there or something that doesn't quite make sense and or on the surface of it. But I think it does because I, this is kind of why we're talking about it today, is I would suggest that setting goals isn't just about achieving the right outcome. Setting goals is about moving towards something. It's about setting that intention and moving. Yeah. And the wor- worse than, well, it's much worse to not try and move and to be stuck. Yeah. I was talking to somebody recently, and we were, it was a coaching session, and basically, under a few things, they basically said, I'm afraid to be stuck. Mm. And I think that was good. I think that was a real good awareness for them. But I think many of us, are afraid to set goals in case we fail. Yeah. The fear of failure is much higher than the fear of being stuck, even though probably being stuck is more damaging to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, well, in a sense, there's so many ideas that could come into this, but it's the the man in the arena thing of, you know, the person on the side can criticise all they like, but 
they don't know what it's like until they get in the arena. And so we it's to to flip that on its head, it's kind of like if I go, Oh, I'm not gonna get in the arena because I might lose, well, you've discounted yourself from even the possibility of winning. Mm. Of even the slimmest possibility even if it is and so for me in my own um personal sort of life i've well my own personal life my own life (laughs) through studies and through working i have definitely come to realize that when i'm stuck the worst thing i can do is to mull on how stuck i am Mm. the best thing i can do is to go okay i cannot envision like what the end of this might be i can't even envision there's so many questions well, all I need to do then is simple. Pick one question and try and answer it yeah. and get moving on that. And if that goes to a dead end, pick the next most logical question and try and answer that. Yeah. And what often happens is you start getting a different picture and you start moving things and maybe I have to ask someone else. But progress happens and, yeah, the end result doesn't look like anything as to what I might have envisioned, even if it was a bit fuzzy but I get progress mm. and that makes me feel more confident. Whereas if I sit around going, oh man, I don't know what to do. Ah, oh, this is confusing. Oh, I don't know what to do about that. And I don't know what to do about that. Then all that happens is it gets more and more um, stressful because I realize I'm more and more stuck and I go, oh, the deadline's that much closer. The pressure is that much higher and I've not moved anywhere. Whereas if I've gone, you know what? I've been expending a lot of effort and I've not maybe got as far as I wanted to but I'm further along than I was last week. Mm. That's so encouraging. Definitely. And uh, I suppose I think about this in terms of, of coaching sessions. When I work with a person, generally the first session will set these big goals to say, hey, where will I be in three months or four months or six months or even a year? Like, where, Where's the big picture? Where do we want to go? But then the first session after that, where we go, okay, how do we start moving? They're often the most powerful ones. But yeah, we set that long distance one, that big goal, but actually they started taking their steps. And over the course of the next week and the next weeks and the, and the course of the next months, they start moving forward and making progress. Mm. And all along that journey, they learn and they discover. And sometimes we'll come to the end of the series and we'll look back at the original goals and we'll go, we're not there but we've made so much progress and insights and learning that along the journey meant we've taken a slightly different course Mm. because we didn't know the whole picture when we started. And so that's okay. You know, it's okay to set the big goal, but actually recognizing as you take steps along the journey, as you take action and you learn, that journey might not go exactly where you go, where you were planning it to go, which is why that would probably be counted as a failed goal. They didn't hit the outcome, but actually it was so successful because they took a new course based on new information yep. that they discovered about themselves, about the world, about their journey. And, and so that's where I think it's, it's interesting and they have more joy. Uh, nobody I've coached has got to the end of a series and been like, regretted that. And be like, oh, that was really powerful. I learned so much. Oftentimes they do hit the goals. But as many times, they don't hit those original goals, but they're still really grateful and thankful for the journey they're going on and for the momentum they've built up. Absolutely. So, Matt. I've experienced that personally with coaching. Yes. In um, my own personal life. In your own personal life, as opposed to somebody else's personal life. <laughs> um, so, 
have you got a story of a time maybe where you set a goal, mm. but through the course of the journey, you didn't hit that goal, but you still felt like you'd move forward. It was a real progress. Yes, I had two interrelated stories, and they're maybe not super profound, but they do nail on this a little bit. Um, when I was a teenager, I wanted to make sure I was looking after my body and um, and get fit. And so I, I set myself a goal. I just I'd, I'd heard you know push ups is a really good simple exercise that you can do and it works a lot of your your body if you do it well and so i was like okay i'm going to do that i'm going to do push-ups every day but my goal in my head was i want to be able to um do in one set 100 push-ups which is quite a lot um it's definitely a lot if anyone that's ever tried to do just the maximum number of push-ups they can do you will realize that trying to get to 100 in one set without any rest is a lot. Even cheat reps, like not full range of motion, yeah, yeah, not yeah. Rep, that would be difficult. And yeah, so it's important to, to notify people at this point. When I'm talking about doing a push-ups, I was thinking full chest full range of motion, body. so like almost chest to the floor and then full extension of arms as well. Mm. So not doing this half, half, half nonsense yes. that people do and they like do them really fast and they go, yeah, yeah, I'm doing loads. And it's like you're, you're actually working about 15% of your range. Yeah. So... I wanted to do that, and the long story short is I never got to doing 100 reps right. in one set. But I looked back on that time, and I thought, what I have done is I've done push-ups pretty much every day for that entire maybe year or a couple of years it was. Um, and the, the, the added benefit I noticed on top of that was because I'd started that day with this is just one one little bit of discipline that I'm going to apply to my physical health and I'm going to do that at the start of each day, it helped me have discipline in other areas. Mm. Um, as well as also the just the physiological, neurological benefits of doing some exercise each day. Mm. Um, I was more disciplined in my study because mm. I was able to say, well, if I'm able to make myself do or you know get myself to do a couple of sets of uh, push-ups every morning, I can get, get myself to sit down and do half an hour of study mm. and that led to something we've talked about before but just doing really well in mm. some of my exams when mm. I was that age mm. so that was a knock-on benefit that I wasn't really aiming for but it was a, a knock-on benefit and probably arguably more impactful than being able to say yeah I could do 100 push-ups in a single rep a single set mm-hmm. um, so you kind of never hit that 100 press-ups in a set no. but Actually, there were all these knock-on effects yeah. that, that benefited your life. So, um, I suppose it's interesting because we're talking about being goal-directed. Were you happy? I think, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely. And certainly when I, certainly when I received those results, I was happy. And I was able to see that, I was really able to see the times when I stopped doing that exercise a bit more regularly, those push-ups and aiming for that goal, I was also less disciplined in other areas. So I was able to see that correlation really, really clearly. And I think we all know this, right? When we're moving towards a goal, we are happier than when we're not moving. We all like we to have make progress. no idea where we are or where we're going. Yeah, I but mean, that's, that's never... how games work, isn't it? That's yeah. how, you know, games scoring works. We like to be, you know, that's why you have rankings when it's online online gaming. You've got points and rankings because we like to go, I'm making progress, I'm climbing or, mm-hmm. you know, 
So, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, that was that thing, wasn't there, about what the students want when they're at school. Yep. They want two things. They want to feel like they're making progress and they want to do it with their friends. Yeah. She's interesting because much of school is not designed for that. No. It's designed to be really obscure and no immediate feedback and yeah. curriculum driven and you're not allowed to sit next to your friends because what would be it for you to have fun? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's... That's interesting because whilst we see that in children, it's probably true for us as well. We want to, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, we want to feel like we're making progress. Absolutely. We want to do that with people we like. Yeah. Which is why probably goal-directed people are happier. Yeah. Even if they're not necessarily hitting all of those outcomes, they're moving towards it. Absolutely. Now, obviously, obviously, we want to set goals, the right goals. Yeah. Things that are motivating. Don't be set no do wrong, move us, wrong goals. That do move us towards somewhere we actually want. Things, and maybe this touches into some of the stuff we talked about, about Victor Frankl way back in the you know, early days of this podcast, where it's about meaning and purpose and what do you most want. And that, that was why I was interesting listening to another podcast. There are other podcasts out there that you can listen to. Some much and, bigger. <laughs> yeah. And it was John Mark Comer talked about some researchers and in the 1950s they had all these time-saving devices that came out, especially around the house, that would mean you spend less time doing housework and you'd have more time. And they were expecting that, you know, as uh, and this is in the 1950s, as uh, the century progressed, that people would maybe only work 20 hours a week of work and wow. spend more time with their families. And they said, across the board, what everyone said was, I choose money. And we all, you know, every not just the rich, the middle class, everybody else chose money over time. But they said, everybody that chose time over money was happier. Wow. <laughs> and so it's, it's very interesting, this this idea of, well, what are we setting goals around? Are we setting goals around the things that are going to really make us happier, give us more meaning, help us build deeper community and relationships? Or are we setting money, or sorry, money? Yeah, goals around money and achievement. Yeah. And not that these things in, in and of themselves are bad, but actually, what are you aiming for? Yeah. Is that in alignment with your values, with your virtues, with who you want to be? And I suppose the core, the, at core is the assumption more money equals more happiness mm. because X, Y, Z, it can get me this, that and the other. And I, I'm not sure if we've spoken about this before in the, the podcast, but again, there's some research that basically suggests money, increasing money does correlate with increasing happiness up until a certain point. Mm. Basically, when your needs are met mm. and you don't have to worry because it, more money means less worry. Great. But beyond meeting your basic needs and maybe a little extra for some nice amenities and luxuries, increasing money doesn't actually equate with increasing happiness and actually it decreases your happiness, probably because you're then worrying about losing all of that money. Mm -hmm. And so, you, so it's so interesting. There's this Goldilocks zone. And I think there was some research done in the States maybe a decade ago that basically said the the optimum level of household income was around 70,000 US dollars. Yeah. That's really interesting. It is interesting because isn't that amount about the amount that a university professor might be paid? Hmm. 
<laughs> I'm obviously joking. Uh, but it is kind of funny that that optimum amount is probably about the amount that a university professor would be paid. Is it? I think it is about that much. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. It's like, oh, yes, we pay the right amount for happiness. How funny. Although um, I think lots of university professors are not happy. No. They're constantly there's, complaining about There's lots about. of things that can, to, can add to this. But the, <laughs> to just round that thought out, yeah, it's not bad to go, you know, I want to be paid for what I'm doing and, and to chase, you know, a, a level of compensation. But if that is because you are assuming that that will lead to happiness, that's an assumption that might need might need um, challenging. challenging. And there's a great book, Drive by Dan Pink, Daniel Pink. Is it Daniel is Pink it? or Pinker? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, Stephen Pinker, Daniel Pink. Uh, Daniel Pink and uh, looks at motivation. And maybe that's something we could do an episode on at some point. But he basically says more money doesn't actually motivate people better. Mm. And so that's what we're saying. I think sort of where we're coming to is having some goals is good. Yeah. Make sure those goals are actually towards where you want to go. Absolutely. And then just move and be okay with the fact that that outcome, you might never achieve that because on the journey of moving forward, you might end up somewhere else. Absolutely. And every story we watch... And every mm. book we read that has a story in it tells us that. You know, the hero sets out, it's, whether it's Bilbo Baggins or whoever, and they can't imagine the journey they're going on. Mm. And the journey they go on isn't what they imagine. And on that journey, they discover new things about themselves. They grow in who they are. They challenge, they fail, they fall short. But come the end of the story, the hero's path, shall we say, They've become a new person. Yeah. And sometimes they have got what they want, but many times not the way that they expected it to. And that is life. That's why we resonate with those stories. It's why we love those stories. Absolutely. I really want to key in on that, that as a last thought. I think we'd be remiss to talk a whole episode on goals and um, the outcome kind of versus the intention or whatever. Um, the, the becoming aspect. So... James Clear in his Atomic Habits book talks a lot about the issue with so many people's goals and the whole um, New Year's resolutions thing is it's purely and only focused on the outcome. You know, mm. I want to lose this many pounds. I want mm. to, um, that's the only one I can think of right now, but you know, I want to maybe not drink alcohol. Basically, I want to, and then outcome. And so as soon as you have broken that commitment once, there we go, goal's done. Or if you've got a, a weight gain or a weight, a weight loss aim, until you have made that weight, you are basically in a state of failure. Mm. You know, so you're failure, 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 until. And he talks in, at the end um, about, for example, that book um, in, in like the epilogue, I think it was. Um, and it was a, a reprinting. Basically, it was like, this project... Um, I, I set out to do this project in this year. It might have been like 2016 or whatever. And until 2018, I hadn't even finished the book. And so it was it was a complete, you know, if you'd looked at it and be like, this is a complete failure. You've not yet got your book even, you know, written, yet let alone published. And then once it was published, within six months or something, it was bestseller on all these lists. And at that point, it's a wild success. And so it's like, at what point do you measure the success of a goal? Mm. Well, if you're just measuring it on the sense of, 
I want this to be a bestseller. It's a failure until it gets there. But if you're going, I'm going to be a writer and someone who writes books, mm. then every day he spent writing was progressing towards that. Yeah. And it was a process, of that a, a process goal rather than an outcome goal. And it's that mm. thing of rather than I want to lose 20 pounds, it's I want to be the sort of person who lives an active lifestyle. So every day you go out for a walk, every day you maybe go, you know what, actually I'm going to eat one less nice treat. Mm. You know, actually that is making your goal. You might not have made your weight yet and you might never actually make that, ori- you know, that original goal weight, but you are moving towards a more healthy lifestyle which has got to be an overall bigger win. Definitely. And there's lots more we could say about goals, but not in this episode. So thank you for listening. Uh, We appreciate you coming along. Let us know what goals you're working on. And uh, speak to you next week. Ciao, ciao.